It's a Friday on the website, scoopswithdannymac.com. And as always, we're brought to you by Blue Tail Medical Group. Before surgery, great alternative. Think healing your own body. Your body has the chance to do that before surgery. And that's where the doctors of Bayes, Crane, Wolf, at Blue Tail Medical Group come in to help you out. See what they offer, bluetailmedicalgroup.com. Ben Fredrickson, good morning. How are you? Happy Friday, Dan. I'm doing well, better than the uh, Cardinals offense at the moment, but uh, looking forward to a good weekend and hope hope you're doing okay too. I am. Uh, that was a rough one last night as Charlie Morton uh, turned back the clock and he's 37, looking like he's 21, and the Cardinals didn't have an answer for him. Took a no-hitter into the seventh, and if a ball gets caught and right by Acuna and there's two outs and nobody out, who knows what happens because Goldschmidt got a second opportunity made the most of it, picked up a base hit, and the Cardinals were able to get a couple of hits the rest of the way, and that was it. But Charlie Morton was really good last night, and uh, to your point, the Cardinals' offense was not. I take, I'm taking my scoops with Danny Mack hat off and, and tipping it to you this morning, Dan, because I was watching the game, and you nailed it. You said, here's a moment where, you know, if you're going to get, if you're going to break up the no-hitter, it happens. it can happen after something like this on a ball that should have been an out, and it wasn't. And I'll be damned if it wasn't over. So it's almost like you've uh, you've been watching a few baseball games in your career or something. But no, you were all over it. It's uh, you know he was probably bummed. You know Acuna was 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 bummed. He wished he would have caught that. But man, he looked pretty good. And I tell you what, there are some there are some proverbial uh, quote unquote old guys who are getting it done this year. Man, uh, I was crunching some numbers this week looking at you know some realistic trade guys maybe not for the Cardinals but some guys who are going to be interesting at the deadline and there are some older cats who are getting it done in in calendar year 2021 um, a lot of the guys that were supposed to be washed up or or not any good are are playing pretty well um, during this weird season after a 60 game sprint last year and I think there's going to be some some veteran players who make teams a lot better at the trade deadline too and Charlie was a guy who you know not a lot of people there wasn't a big market for him. It was a one-year deal, right? That he signed with the Braves, but it's worked out for him pretty well. And he's he's one of the one of the parts of the Braves that's been functioning so far. I don't know why they're not playing better. Um, they've got tons of talent, but he looked pretty good yesterday. Absolutely, and they're missing Ozuna. That's a big bat, not yeah. in their lineup. He would be protecting Freddie Freeman. Freeman has not been, you know, the guy that we saw a year ago in the shortened season and the MVP. Uh, Acuna is Acuna. Albies is driven in uh, close to 40, so he, he's been fine. But I'm with you. The, the Cardinals and the Braves are almost mirror images of each other. High expectations, two teams hovering right around 500. The Braves going into the game last night, it was uh, five games below 500, and their pitching has been suspect at best. Their bullpen has been awful at times, and the Cardinals at times, it hasn't been much better. And especially with the walks and some of the things that we've seen. So, yeah, two teams that uh, we'll see how they come out this weekend and uh, and see how they fare. I, I thought Gant was okay last night. It was a quick trigger to get him out of there. They weren't going to let him mess around, and the bullpen was so-so. But, you know, y- you got to get good starting pitching to give you a chance to win. And I, I thought Gant was okay. Not great, but okay. And it's Carlos Martinez going in game two tonight. Cardinals are 17 and seven, I think, when they get a quality start um, and not very good when they don't. And Gant was close, but uh, that's that's probably about as good as you can expect from Gant now. I, I think he's losing his grip a little bit, no pun intended, on on 
on the shot as a starter. Now, if they had somebody lined up to take his spot, I think he'd be back in the bullpen, but they really don't. And that's why they, they, they just have to find some way to improve the rotation before the deadline, Dan, because you can't keep crossing your fingers every time a starter goes out there because their, their chemistry is that they have to get a decent start in order to have a chance to win. And if, if they get that, they tend to, they, they've got, you know, 24 quality starts this season. They've won 17 of those games, but when they don't get a quality start, they're 18 and 26. That's a pretty good tell. Um, we're deep enough into the season where you can look at some of those numbers and the key component to the Cardinals playing winning baseball is getting a solid start from, from a starter. Um, and that game though, is not on Gant. I mean, that that's on the offense. Um, Charlie, Charlie was locked in and good, but um, I mean, you can't get nearly, nearly no hit and, and blame the starting pitcher. The offense you know, it's got some issues. The, that, that's got, the other thing. The I top mean, top four has cooled off, and, and they've got a problem at leadoff now. Tommy Edmond has been great for a lot of this season, Dan, but he's in a spiral here, and his on-base percentage is plummeting. And I don't know that you can have a guy who doesn't have a league average OBP being your leadoff guy getting the most at-bats of anybody on your team. I think they're going to have to maybe do something there. Yeah, it, and I mentioned that towards the uh, tail end of the game last night is that you have your two big guys – that you're counting on in Goldschmidt and Arenado. Arenado's in a rut right now. Goldie has been, you know, not to the the level that we saw in Arizona or even uh, initially here. Now, he did have a good series against the Marlins, but last night, you know, got the base hit. That's fine. But he's got eight or nine home runs. And, and when those two guys aren't doing what they're, you know, you're expecting them to do, then you're looking at the Tommy Edmonds, the Dylan Carlsons, the Tyler O'Neills. And if those guys aren't having just a modicum of a success, that's when this offense can go south. And again, it was a situation last night. They're shut out. Or even in the series with the Marlins, you're talking about one or two runs. The offense wasn't there against the Cubs. You know, that is starting to turn into a trend that you, you, you maybe should, we should be paying a little bit more attention to. And it catches your attention because that can spiral out of control very quickly. Well, the, the starting pitching problems, you kind of have a crutch there because you can say, look, Jack Flaherty's on the injured list. Miles Michaelis has pitched one time. KK just got back. Um, they, they, they didn't have enough depth there, but you, it, it wasn't like, it, it wasn't like, you know, they have, they've caught some bad breaks. What, what's the offense's excuse now? Paul DeYoung's back. Um, and, you know, maybe he should have spent some more time on the rehab saying he wasn't really hitting in Memphis before he was, before he was brought back, but he's back. And I don't think it's fair to sit there and say, that, well, the offense is waiting on Harrison Bader. That, no, Harrison Bader's a seven or eight hole hitter um, with your pitcher hitting ninth. So this, there's really no reason now for the offense to be dragging like this. Um, you know, then that, that's, that is a concern. You know, you, you sit there and talk yourself out of Edmund being leadoff. And I guess you like, I could see Carlson there, maybe Sosa, you know, if he's, if he's healthy after taking that pitch to the hand, but then you start to look at the order and go, well, where does it go from there? Um, I think too, I, I don't know that the answer is on the bench or, 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 or waiting in, in Memphis. I think if they're serious about improving this team and getting this offense in life, they're going to have to add somebody. And I don't, I don't think they need a defining bat. I think they have their big bats. I think they need to find something that is a little more that raises the grit level of their offense. An OBP guy, a guy who can get on base and kind of just be that rusty nail type Adam. Eaton. We've talked about Adam Eaton a ton. Like who's that guy? For this team, um, you know, maybe he's out there. You know, Charlie Blackman's on base percentage is super high. Um, he's he had a rotten April, but he's trending up. Maybe he looks to get out of Colorado. Maybe they try to deal him 
Oh, he's got those weird that weird contract with the options. I wonder about a guy like Josh Harrison with the Nationals. You know, everybody thought he was old and washed up. He signed a one year deal for like a for 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 pretty cheap. I think it's a million dollar deal, and he's a true rental. I mean, he, his on base percentage is great. His average is high. Veteran guy. You know, he wants to win. I think they're just missing somebody who who really takes tough at bats and can get on base and kind of get something going. They needed last night somebody to somebody to break it up. Somebody to, to get an ugly at bat that turned into a slap hit into the outfield to get something going. And I don't think they have that guy right now with Edmund struggling the way he is. Yeah, it, it is a uh, it it's a problem. What what's your take on the foreign substances in baseball? Where do you stand on this? Man, I'm torn. Uh and and I actually appreciate Adam Wainwright being so candid about it because I thought he was pretty informative and, and Schilt too, because, you know, I, I think I said previously, one of the times we talked that Schilt was kind of talking himself into a, a corner here because he, he came out so strong about the Cardinals not being a part of this. And then all of a sudden Gallegos gets popped with the hat and now Wainwright's being mentioned in Sports Illustrated. But the more and more they talk about it, the more you understand there, there's kind of, there's levels to this the the initial level as well you know the box every 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 baseball is taken out of the box and rubbed down with some sort of rubbing compound before it ever before it ever sees the field of play right um there no one is using a fresh baseball out of the box the league doesn't want them to so that's one aspect the other aspect is there's a rosin bag behind the mound and no and everyone's fine with that and then it kind of goes from there. Pine tar a lot of people think it's fine but what we're talking about now there's there seems to be a camp one that says, let's create some agreed upon substances like pine tar or sunscreen or maybe a mix of both. And then there's another camp that says, you know, get rid of all of it because people are abusing it by using this other stuff, this spider tech stuff, which is like what these guys in leotards do on uh, Bally Sports Midwest after you go off the air when they're carrying around the big rocks. Um, around on the beach that's what they're spraying on their hands to, to lift that and they're saying no that's and the difference is right what actually drives up spin rate versus what helps you hold on to the ball and it's ironic that the guy who got fired over this the poor guy in los angeles who worked for the angels who i feel terrible for because he wasn't he was just doing what players asked him to do and he has to take the fall because he's the small guy and doesn't have the protection of the players union He's actually saying, hey, if they want something universal that is not based off of something crazy, let them use the stuff that I made, um, which I think most players and managers would probably agree with that. But what I think what I think is my biggest point on this, they got to figure it out. You have to involve the players in this, but you can't clamp down and drastically change things halfway through the season. And, and I think it's kind of an example. I, I hate to be that guy who's always talking about it, Dan, but it sure seems to me like it's it's odd timing with the CBA negotiation looming and the and the jockeying for leverage between players and owners for this to be such a big issue now to where they have to clamp down and make changes in the middle of the season. It sure seems like there might be ulterior motives. Don't you think though that we talk so much about the strikeouts every single sure. night and the product is supposed to be entertainment? And when they looked at this, and maybe this would have been addressed in the offseason last year, but we only had 60 games to look at it, um, that it got so bad that they they maybe didn't realize just how bad it was. And they said, we got to nip this thing in the bud right now because it's getting out of control, and let's address it right now because we have to. That That's the way I took it. I understand your theory of, of because of a pending CBA, but I also look at the theory of being realistic in saying, 
the product is not entertaining, and we got to make it entertaining because we still got four months to go and a five months with the postseason, and uh, it, it's got to improve. I, I just think that's maybe one of the ways to look at it too. Well, I, I think the numbers back up that point. I mean, Buster only had the splits on pre-crackdown and post, and already we're seeing averages and, and slugging percentage. They're starting to creep up, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence. So, yeah, I do think it was affecting things. I also – I don't think it's good to implement changes that you've cared nothing about for years. I mean, they didn't care. I mean, when Yadi, when that ball stuck to Yadier Molina's chest protector, everybody laughed. It was it was not even thought twice about. Clearly, there was you know there was stuff like that going on, and it was nobody. The league didn't care. Well, now all of a sudden, it not only cares, it's going to make it's going to cause forced changes in the middle of a, of a season. I think the timing should have been better. If you're going to crack down on it, have it have the rules made at spring training and say this is the deal. You know, get used to it because we're we're rolling with this. I think a midseason crackdown is tough. I don't know that it's causing these injuries. I know what Tyler Glass now said. I understand his frustration, but I don't think there's any proof that it's why he got hurt. I think he'll have a hard time proving that. But I do feel somewhat sympathetic to guys who, you know, it's like being told. Uh, it's kind of like you know. I guess the best example is we all have our certain ways to work. And we all probably, some of us at least, I, I would include myself in this group, um, you know, maybe drive a little bit faster than uh, we should sometimes. And it's like they lower the speed limit. And, and you, so you're speeding already by stuff, the old speed side, all, old speed limit. And then all of a sudden you find out they dropped at 20 and nobody told you. And then you get hit for going 10, you know, 10 over, but it's actually 30 now. I think some of the pitchers kind of feel like that. Like they knew that maybe it wasn't really supposed to be something they were doing, but they also knew that nobody really cared. And now all of a sudden it's like cold Turkey and they're going, man, this has messed me up. So I understand that to some degree. I, I wish they would have had it planned out where they could have issued it entering a season as opposed to, or maybe even in the all-star break. I mean, yeah. something not right, not right in the middle of the season. I feel like that that's, that's caused more problem as many problems as it has positive results. Let's uh, get into something that you wrote about this past week. The Post-Dispatch did a great job with it, uncovering some of the details in the lawsuit between uh, the Rams and the city. Try to put it in layman's terms. Where are we at with that, and what was uncovered in that this past week? Well, there's there's really two pieces of news. One was that it's, once again, the Rams asking to get the case tossed. I, I don't think that will happen, but that was the news. They're once again trying to get this thrown out. And the news part of that, it's, it's the last really chance they can get to force this to an exit ramp before it heads to either a trial, a public you know, jury trial, or a settlement. Um, I have no reason as of today to think that it will be a settlement. Um, that could change, of course, but I think it's going to head to a trial in January. Remember, it got rescheduled to January because of COVID. Um, the other part of it was that the way these documents were available, um, which was not really supposed to happen, I don't think, because there's a protective order in this case, but for a while, some of these documents were public, and Joel Courier, my colleague at the Post-Dispatch, did a great job of getting them so we could read them. There's a lot of just context and background documents, things we hadn't seen before, and what what those documents really crystallized was um, kind of the, the Rams' argument for this, and it really seems like what the Rams are prepared to argue, Dan, is that they viewed their right to relocate to be based off of them winning that arbitration about the dome upgrades. And they feel like, and they hope to prove that whatever negotiations, conversations happened with the task force about a new stadium were non-starters because they had won that arbitration. Now, I think St. Louis is going to disagree with that. 
A, because they, they're not making anything about the lease. This is, they think this is about the relocation guidelines and how they were the city of St. Louis and, and the parties on that side were misled based off of the relocation guidelines. They, I think, agree that the Rams were given the right to potentially relocate based off of winning that arbitration, but that only the relocation guidelines can dictate how a team can move and they don't feel like those were followed. The NFL seems to say, well, the relocation guidelines don't matter. Well, St. Louis is going to say, well, hold on a second. At one time, these things were passed down like they were chiseled on tablets from Moses. I mean, they, they can't mean everything in the world one day and nothing the next. And that, I think, is what this case is going to come down to. It's interesting stuff. Did they leak it, you think? I mean, is that what uh, it looks like? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I just, as, as, I, as I, I'll say this, the Rams and the NFL have a ton of highly paid, really good, strong lawyers to make such a simple filing mistake. Maybe it was just a mistake. But, uh, <laughs> it sure seems like uh, that's a lot of money flying around for somebody to make such a goofy mistake. Um, look, there, there's a protective order in this case that has everybody keeping their, their mouth sealed, but that's because the Rams wanted it, I, I think. You know, they have the most to lose on stuff getting out, so it's ironic that their argument got out. Now, St. Louis, I can't say anything about it. But what they're going to do eventually is there will be a hearing and it won't be private, it'll be public about the damages that are being pursued in this case. And that will be really the first time we hear from the St. Louis side about A, the damages they're pursuing, but also why. And I think we'll get a glimpse at some of the things they've uncovered in discovery. And they're not talking about you know the things Kevin Demoff said publicly or the things Eric Grubman said publicly. That's all public. I'm, they're, I'm talking about the things they have discovered in their discovery process, in the documents that they got from the league and their depositions of a bunch of different people. So I, I think there could be some fireworks up ahead in the near future. Mizzou, Eli Drinkwitz, and this will be our final topic of the week, but uh, he's starting to make headway in terms of a position he needed to, and that was cornerback, isn't he? Well, man, it wasn't too long ago we were talking about that group being a little thin because of the transfers that had left. Maybe they saw the writing on the wall a little bit, but clearly Eli has – address the need, whether it's transfers, um, you know, from Tulsa, whether it's flipping a, a commit from, from LSU, when you're competing with the Notre Dames and the Texas and the LSUs of college football, you're probably getting pretty good players, not guaranteed, but, but yet those are the pools you want to be swimming in. If you're Missouri and you're trying to catch Florida and Georgia in the SEC East, um, he's a relentless recruiter. He's fun. He has some sizzle to him. He, he's, he's working it on social media. And for the first time that I can remember in a long time, Dan, except for when there was like a big, a big in-state recruit. Like I remember Missouri fans getting fired up about Doriel Green Beckham and, and Sheldon Richardson. But for the first time in a long time, I kind of feel like Missouri fans are getting to where they're living and dying and breathing recruiting. And, and that's how it is at, at the SEC power schools. I mean, these fan bases, they know about who's coming to visit. They know – they know how many scholarships are open and they know the class ranking. And I kind of feel like Drinkwitz is getting Missouri fans fired up about that. And, and I love that he's giving a message and a challenge to the fans too. He's saying, Hey, if you want this to keep rolling and you want these players to want to come here, you have to make that stadium live. You have to make it wired when they show up for visits. And I hear the same thing from Conzo Martin. Like everybody wants to get mad that EJ Liddell didn't go to Mizzou. Well, when E.J. Liddell went to Mizzou, it looked like, you know, if people were going to watch a chess game, you know, it, it was a, it was, the arena wasn't, wasn't rocking. And when he goes to Ohio State, it is. 
So what would you do if you're EJ Liddell and you're 17 years old thinking about where you're going to go to school? You want to go to a place that, that looks fun to play, right? And if, if Missouri fans can buy in on that and start to support in attendance, uh, if you're worried about Eli Drinkwitz leaving for a better job, stop worrying about it and go make it the job that he won't leave. You know, go to games, buy tickets, make it a place where these kids go and go, wow, I want to play here. And Missouri can do that. They just have to they have to buy in and believe. So he's doing his part, and I like that he's challenging Missouri fans to do theirs. He's fun. He's made it yeah, entertaining. He gets it, man. And he, he gets it. He's doing it on multiple levels. Like there's a reason that he was working so hard to get that NL, that name image likeness thing passed, because he wants to use it in recruiting. For sure. <laughs> he wants to he wants to be able to tell that kid from St. Louis. Hey, don't go to Alabama and be a be an everybody player, be an be average Joe at Alabama. Come come be at Missouri and let's get you a uh, you know, let's get you a sponsorship. And 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 he can do that. That will be within the rules, but he's thinking along those lines. And if you're trying to keep guys from going other places, you have to. So I think that he's showing he's showing his his skills as a recruiter, and and I think he's he's gotten people fired up, man. I, I haven't seen people this excited about Missouri football in a while. Um, I. I think that you mix that with the fact that it's going to be opened up and people be going to games. It could be a special season. I want to remind everybody this weekend, 1030 Fox 2, Scoops with Danny Mac, the TV show, will feature uh, a long, very revealing show, an interview with Ricky and Keel. I uh, had a chance to sit him down uh, when he was in town, and I think people really enjoy it, but get into his struggles, a little bit of his personal life, all those kind of things that uh, we know about that and his, ultimately his comeback. So it's it's great. Whether or not you're a sports fan, I would encourage you to to watch that. Uh, last week we had the soccer show. A lot of that has been received great, uh, greatly by fans because it, it had a lot of the Carolyn Kendall Betts and Don Garber and Taylor Twelman, but a lot of the, uh, the, the looks of the stadium and behind the scenes. So that's really cool for people to see. Ben, I'm curious, uh, what are you working on this weekend? Give us a sneak peek. Well, I'm, I'm going to write a, uh, a hockey column. I'm going to weigh in on this Kachuk rumor. I think that would be awesome. Matthew Kachuk, maybe with the Blues. That would be that'd be fun. Sign me up for that. I'm going to be covering a lot of gymnastics next week, Dad. Dad, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Father's, Father's Day, Day weekend. Father's Day is coming up. Yeah, happy early Father's Day, man. Um, I'm going to be covering a lot of gymnastics. Um, the, uh, the Olympic trials are coming here to St. Louis. It's really special. If you have not been before, um, and you get a chance to see Simone Biles live in person, I wouldn't pass it up. There's still tickets available. It's at the Dome. They've had to move it around because of COVID, but they're making it happen, and there's going to be a good crowd. Um, she's the most impressive athlete I've ever watched live, period. And wow. will probably, until the end of my life, I will be able to say that. She's truly incredible. Whether you know a thing about gymnastics or not, you know, get a chance to see her do her thing because – depending on what they do with crowds at the Olympics, it might be the last, one of the last times you could see her perform live in person. So I'll be covering that next week. It comes here to St. Louis. I'm pretty pumped about that. And plenty of, of course, Cardinals coverage as well coming up at stltoday.com. All right, my man. Thank you. We'll, uh, we'll do this again next Friday. Yeah. Thanks dad. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That's uh, Ben Fredrickson of the Post-Dispatch. I'm Dan McLaughlin. And as always, we do this on Fridays on scoops with DannyMac.com presented by Blue Tail Medical Group.